Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This week, we're joined by Kate Field of the BSI Group. We're going to be looking at the new 45,003 ISO standard and what that means for psychological risk management and psychological health and safety going forward. Thanks for coming on the show, Kate. I'll start with a question that I ask anyone when they come on the podcast. What made you become a health and safety professional? Uh, it wasn't a career I planned, uh, like I suppose so, so many of us. Um, I'd actually started my career uh, more in vocational training. Um, I'm uh, a qualified lecturer, if, if you like, um, and I started my first full-time job working for a charity, helping disaffected and disadvantaged young people into vocational work placements. As part of that, I had to do health and safety checks on the, on those work placements, and I, I did a bit of um, training. My started my IOS journey, um, and you know, it was fine. I understood the the process. I didn't sort of do that training, and was doing those risk assessments and thinking, oh wow, this is you know, this is a career I want to pursue. Um, but when I was looking to take the the next step and and, and move on from the, the charity, um, I happened to see the job for being a health and safety executive inspector um, to regulate the law. I kind of wasn't really familiar with them as a regulator, but it sounded like a really interesting job, um, particularly, you know, the investigation side, um, learning about a legal process and, and potentially going to court so yeah it sounded like an interesting job so I applied got in and I suppose the rest is history really. What um, part of health and safety are you really passionate about is it the more people side of things? Um, yes yes and no I mean it's, it's definitely uh, you know at the heart of it is keeping people safe you know there is uh, no reason why people should go to work and be physically or mentally harmed you know there is just no reason for it but I think the thing that's really struck me about it oh, actually, I suppose there's two reasons one is actually the variety of people you do meet and the variety of organizations that you get to encounter certainly as an inspector and I've worked then as a consultant because I've always enjoyed that variety so uh, over the course of my careers when I've been in a single role with a single organization although I've enjoyed it I always felt a little bit frustrated because I haven't had that variety but I think the thing that's really kept me passionate about it is really understanding organizational culture um, and particularly the role of leadership so you, you might call it organizational <laughs> psychology um, it's always been that aspect because that's always at the root cause of you know all of the incidents all of the problems um, and trying to find ways of changing that culture and influencing leadership um, has always been the thing that's kept me most passionate and and within that you know particularly then looking at the impact that uh, poor uh, psychological health and safety management has had um, you know in in manufacturing environments it, it's much easier for the organization to get their head around guarding a machine um, actually understanding that it's the culture of the organization that is doing the harm from a psychological health and safety point of view is something organizations really struggle with. Is it a relatively recent way of thinking in terms of psychological safety because I, I guess you know from a non-health and safety professional part of maybe my misconceptions about the field before I came into it was that it was more of a tick boxing thing with your checklist as you say 
guarding the machine as opposed to the person. Um, has it always been there? So uh, I suppose there's two parts to that question. Um, I think sadly there has been a perception that health and safety is a tick box exercise um you know that yeah you know go around and and do your risk assessment and make sure the guards are in place or whatever it happens to be um I, of course that's not that's not the case and it hasn't been since 1974 in the uk when the health and safety at work act came in <laughs> Uh, that's not the approach that uh, our legislation takes, but there's been a, an interpretation um, of that, which I think is, is really sad. In terms of psychological health and safety, uh, no, again, <laughs> again I, this is for me one of my, my really real frustrations, actually. Um, you know, it's always been health and safety. <laughs> we have been shockingly poor at doing the health side. Um, we've got slightly better for some of the big health issues, you know, occupational cancer, um, occupational asthma, other occupational respiratory diseases, dermatitis, all of those sorts of things. That was part of what I moved on to in HSE. But actual, actually, psychological health and safety has always been part of that again it's just been simply ignored um you know i, I and I, back in when i was in my career hse um we launched the stress management standards um which are many many years old now um and i i i helped in terms of the rollout of those you know actually training up our own inspectors to understand it but also i did a lot of talks and presentations to key sectors particularly things like the nhs and, and education where occupational stress which is what we're fundamentally talking about when we talk about psychological health and safety um, are real issues um, so that's that's it's been a requirement for for years it's a requirement under uh, the management health and safety regulations 1999 um, but organizations have fundamentally ignored it um which is why you know we we have such a, a big issue um and you know i think there is a bigger piece as well um you know it's it's more prevalent in service industries um doesn't mean it doesn't happen in manufacturing absolutely does um but i think particularly in countries like the uk or other high income countries as as they've moved away from more manual and manufacturing activities um where basic safety is is actually the the main concern um mm. then we've seen a more of a more of an issue and start to be created in terms of psychological health and safety so no it's not new uh it's a constant frustration to me that we haven't grappled it more um but then we are where we are um, and potentially we've got a game changer coming out with ISO 45003. So I, I'm always an optimist uh, actually at the heart of it. So I'm really hopeful that this new international standard on psychological health and safety starts to really turn the tide of understanding. I think we're in a, an encouraging time in terms of health and safety, um, you know, with the HSE Global Series, seeing the engagement we get with mm. that and across the network. It's clear that there is an appetite for this sort of stuff because people want to help. Um, you touched there on the new ISO standard. Can you give maybe an overview of that and uh, where we're at in terms of the stage of its publication? 
Yeah, so I mean, it's been really great to engage with the HSE Global Series and, and have those conversations with senior um, health and safety professionals and, and leaders in, in the field. And you're, you're right, you know, there's been a lot of interest in our ISO 45003. So it's a new international standard um, providing practical guidance and examples for organizations to manage psychological health and safety. Um, we, we use the, the technical term psychosocial risks as a, as a way of describing these particular types of risks. And it's designed, it was written by the same technical committee that developed ISO 45001. Um, so that's the, the world's first occupation, global occupational health and safety management system. And 45003 is designed to complement and support 45001. So it follows the same high level structure. Um, and it's really designed to bring out and, and bring to life the the psychosocial risks and give organizations a framework to manage those all organizations all sizes all sectors can use the organize uh, can use the standard if you don't have 45001 you can still use the standard you know <laughs> it, it's still a framework for managing a particular type of health and safety risk in this in this case psychosocial risk so you know as long as you've got some sort of health and safety management system you can still absolutely use it um, and understand it it is a guidance um, standard uh, which is different to 45001 which is a requirements standard um, I, I, I won't go into all of the nuances of uh, the way ISO work and their difference in standards but 45001 as a requirements uses the shall so you shall do something so it's a requirement in 45001 as a guidance it, ten it tends to use should um, because it's it's like all standards it's voluntary but it's not a requirement standard um, and that means that normal uh, accreditation that you get with 45001 if you seek certification from a, an accredited certification body you don't get the uh, accreditation badge that goes on your certificate so UCAS or ANAB as two of the the, the major ones um, you still can have certification to 45003 you just don't get that uh, accreditation um, badge and it also means that potentially um, organizations that don't have accreditation can offer certification but I'd, I'd caution people on that the reason that accreditation is so important is it means that certification bodies like BSI have to meet certain uh, requirements in terms of the the performance and the quality of our certification processes and, and that's why accreditation is there and BSI will be offering certification to 45,003 and we will be using all of the rules that we would normally follow for an accreditation process so the the, the robustness and the rigor and the integrity is still there. Is there a chance that the standard may become more of an accreditation or a mandatory accreditation in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult. I think there's potentially appetite. I mean, one of the questions I get asked quite a lot is, you know, shouldn't 45,001 cover this? Um, and yeah, as a health and safety professional, my 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 gut uh, reaction is yes, yes, it should. If we were doing health and safety properly, we'd cover psychosocial risk. <laughs> um, 
but we know that sadly there isn't the understanding and it's an area that is that is missed. Um, 45001 does touch on asthma, aspects of psychosocial risk so it does talk about things like um, working hours, bullying and harassment culture, those sorts of things um, but it doesn't go into as much detail um, and you know we're still in a situation where there is a need for supplementary advice and guidance um, that 45003 provides. In an ideal world, what I'd like to see is that everything that is kind of incorporated into 45003 merges into 45001. So we manage health and safety properly as a, you know, you're thinking about it across all the types of risks. But I think that's very unlikely, um, you know, particularly when we think from a global point of view, the maturity of understanding in different countries about these particular topics is very different. Um, so I don't know that we'll ever see that merge. Um, we may well see, um, you know, uh, a desire for accredited certification to, again, ensure that robustness you know like BSI we are accredited and we will use those same robust processes for certification for 45003 but if we have other bodies who don't follow that same rigor starting to offer certificates um, for 45003 then it could undermine the effectiveness of what we're trying to achieve in which case you know there might be a bit of a, a, a kind of a, a desire and a need to make it accredited. Does the new standard incorporate practical ways that people can detect um, maybe workplace violence and how that feeds into psychological safety? So, yes, I mean, what I think the thing to un understand is, is you approach psychological health and safety in exactly the same way as you do any other sort of health and safety risk. So you identify what the hazards are, you identify who could be harmed, then you assess how likely that is and, and what the consequences are. The approach is, is exactly the same. And in 45003, it gives three tables, nearly three pages full of examples of psychosocial hazards um, and absolutely it includes violence within that um, and then it gives some examples of, of ways that you can manage um, control um, some of those risks it doesn't go into as much detail because obviously controls are much more nuanced um, but yeah you're absolutely right you know um, violence um, physical verbal sexual threatened actual um, is all part of 45003 and I and I think you know you you asked me one of the reasons you know whether it's been around for a long time and I think um work-related violence is a really good example of a risk that's been around for a long time. Some sectors have grappled with parts of it. Um, so there was a real big issue. I, I talked about when uh, the HSE uh, stress management systems came out, I did a lot of talks to the NHS. One of the causes of, of psychological harm in the NHS was the risk of violence, particularly in things like A&E departments. And they did quite mm. a lot of work in terms of looking at different controls across the hierarchy to to manage that risk 
but it's really interesting talking to somebody who who works in kind of more domestic care or I saw it a lot in um in sort of residential care particularly with clients that have mental illnesses or things like dementia where you know un unfortunately uh forms of violence can uh, erupt um and actually you know I've seen the damage that that can cause to individuals so yeah you know I think it's an area that can be addressed very effectively in in some respects when I think about the range of psychosocial risks and hazards that exist within an organ or potentially within an organization or different sectors actually workplace violence is one of the ones we should be dealing with most easily because there are very clear controls that you can put in place so we're looking after psychological safety um does the new standard implement ways in which employers can maybe encourage their employees to take ownership of it a bit because we know in terms of the well-being side of things what um people need to do in terms of getting good sleep good diet that sort of thing um does the new standard look into that at all so yes and no i suppose it so interestingly um it provides a definition of workplace well-being um, and that talks about uh, the fulfillment of expectations for, for, for workers. Um, and I think, you know, uh, there is still a lack of understanding about what workplace well-being should actually be about. But we'll cover that maybe in a, a later podcast. Um, I won't go down that that rabbit um, hole today. Um, but in terms of the individual piece, I think <laughs> this is really common misconception and actually it's worrying me a little bit the number of people I've, I've heard sort of talk about this when we talk about psychological health and safety I'm hearing a lot of people say the emphasis is on the individual no it's not <laughs> it's on the it's on the organization what form of psychological harm is the organization causing and what are they doing about it? Um, that is not an individual issue. Um, you know, this is this is the same as something like uh, fire risk within an organisation. <laughs> we don't put the, em the emphasis on fire risk management on individuals. We come up with a, an organisational response. There may then be some ind individuals who might need extra support during an evacuation, in which case we might do a personal emergency evacuation plan. And the same would be um, the case for psychological health and safety. We have an organisational level response that actually meets the needs of the majority of people. But if there are individuals that need extra help and support, then we provide it at that level. But the emphasis is not on the individual to manage this. It's, this is about psychological health and safety in the workplace and what the workplace is doing to prevent it. So I guess to round up, what's the one bit of advice that you would give to a health and safety professional, maybe high up, um, and they want to implement the new standard in the correct way or as correct a way as possible? I think uh, I think there's a couple of things I'd I'd say. Um, I think the first I'd give some reassurance. Um, you know, 
it's an area that uh, maybe a lot of health and safety professionals are not so comfortable with um, and there's a, a often a misconception that you need to somehow be some sort of um, mental health doctor you need to have a, a doctorate in psychology you absolutely don't you know this is about normal risk management processes which as health and safety professionals you know is our bread and butter this is what we do day in and day out that process is exactly the same you know we are then uh, uh, solution creators in terms of identifying what the potential problems are and coming up with solutions to manage it so the the approach is exactly the same so I think I'd reassure people that this is absolutely within your ability and your skill set approach it in the same way as you do for other health and safety risks as your starting point you know you won't go far wrong you'll need to think slightly more widely in terms of looking at uh, your for your hazard identification identifying the sources of, of potential risk um, but the process is the same and in terms of the advice for implementing it it's it's the same for any health and safety initiative is you need buy-in from the top so you need your leadership to be committed to this and and give support that's where it starts perfect well i think that's a great place to end the discussion on the new standard we've covered some great areas there thank you very much for coming on the show kate and i think you touched on there we've got another podcast coming up on i think is it a new practical model that bsi has coming up on well-being yeah, so we have just launched this week. Uh, actually, it was last week. Uh, we'll, we'll just continue to promote it. A new best practice model on workplace well-being, prioritising people model. Um, and that looks at well-being in a much more holistic way, um, looking at what organisations really need to do to create that sense of fulfilment and and meet the expectations of, of workers um so yeah I'll, i'm looking forward to, to coming back and, and talking to you all in much more detail about that model perfect well we look forward to that show and uh thanks again for coming on kate lovely thank you david